Science Friday is supported by Progressive. Now, most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Science Friday is supported by Random House, publisher of When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi a memoir from a doctor-turned-patient about the fragile beauty of our mortal lives. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is available at prh.com air. Think back, if you would, to those classic cars of the 1950s and early 60s. Sleek lines, lots of chrome and wood paneling. Pretty snazzy, right? There were no seatbelts, no airbags, no padded dash panels. It was uh, stylistic pornography over engineering integrity. It's Thursday, November 30th, but today, like every day, it's Science Friday. I'm Sci-Fi's news director, John Dankosky. Yeah, those classic cars may have looked great, but they could be deadly. Then on this day in 1965, the lawyer and consumer advocate Ralph Nader published a book that was credited with changing all of that. Unsafe at any speed was a deep analysis of how car makers fought against adding safety features to their cars in favor of looks and comfort. Here's Ira Flato in an interview with Ralph Nader back in 2021. The success of that book propelled Ralph Nader to become one of the most influential consumer advocates of his generation. And since then, cars and what we expect from them have changed tremendously. We want our cars to keep us safe and the bells and whistles of safety are a plus, not a minus. Ralph Nader, renowned consumer safety advocate, several-time presidential candidate based in Winstead, Connecticut. Welcome to Science Friday. Thank you very much. Nice to have you. Ralph, let's go back in the Wayback Machine to the mid-60s with the publishing of your groundbreaking book. A lot of people who are younger than 55 may not realize just how little safety technology was in cars at that time. Run down some of the problems with auto safety that were pervasive in the 60s. Oh, certainly. It was a period of technological stagnation by the auto companies. They were making money. They were comfortable. Uh, General Motors was the pace setter, and there was very little criticism. I remember one, Donald Fry, the vice president of Ford, made a speech in the mid-60s, and he said the last significant innovation in the automobile uh, was the automatic transmission back in the 1930s. So there were no seatbelts, no airbags, no padded dash panels. The steering column could be driven rearward into the driver's chest fatally. Door locks were trivial. Often cars would pop open if you hit a curb. It was uh, stylistic pornography over engineering integrity. And uh, when unsafe and speed came out, it was a time when all crashes, deaths, injuries were blamed on the driver. The auto companies had this pejorative description of the driver as, quote, the nut behind the wheel, end quote. But I learned from studies funded by the Pentagon, no less, uh, at Cornell Medical School, Harvard School of Public Health, 
and other insider engineers that the motor vehicle could protect you in a crash, just like uh, kids were protected in theme parks when they'd bump into each other with a five-mile-an-hour maximum speed. And I also learned that there wasn't enough innovation in uh, preventing crashes in the first place. And so I wrote this book, and uh, General Motors uh, put private detectives on me. They made the mistake of following me up to the Senate office building. Uh, I was slated to be testifying before Senator Ribikoff's committee, and they got in trouble. They were caught by the guards. There was big publicity, a lot of media. They ordered the head of General Motors, James Roach, to come along with the detective, Vincent Gillen, to testify for the Senate committee. The place was packed. And just within a few months, to show you how fast things were done in those days, from the March of 1965 hearings in Congress to the signing of the Motor Vehicle and Highway Safety Laws by Lyndon Johnson in the White House in September. And it was done. And the result, up and down, depending who was president, uh, was the, the saving of millions of lives and serious injuries, hundreds of billions of dollars in property damage, family anguish, and uh, more fuel-efficient cars and less polluting cars. So those were the years where technological stagnation was the big problem and how to force-feed innovation through government regulations that actually worked. And now the difference is completely the opposite. There is massive innovation, heavily by the automotive suppliers, who often complain about the non-receptive auto manufacturers the way consumer groups do, and uh, by the push from the high-tech companies in Silicon Valley. And we're in just the reverse now. We've got all kinds of safety improvements on the shelf or only for high-priced cars as uh, standard equipment. Uh, not uh, for lower-priced cars, uh, but the Congress and the government are just not moving. You talk a lot about in your book about how the Chevrolet Corvair was a particular death trap. Can you explain some of the problems with the Chevy Corvair you wrote about in the book? Yeah, it, it was a car that was pretty, uh, but it was deadly. For example, in certain cornering maneuvers, it would flip over. Its engine was in the rear, not in the front. It had a leading surface placement of the driver's shaft that could be driven right back into the driver, impaling the driver. It leaked carbon monoxide. General Motors actually had a, a recall uh, late in the era of the Corvair to, uh, to recall them. In all that uh, sense, it put a heavy burden on drivers. I once... Uh, was invited to talk to the Corvair Club of America. Can you imagine? They had 6,500 members, an annual convention. And as I walked into the room, I could feel the tension, Ira. And <laughs> I got up to the dais, and I said, I have to say something to reduce the tension. And, and I said, you know, there's only one thing maybe we agree on when it comes to the Corvair. And, and they said, what? And I said, that you must be among the best drivers in the world. It put a, <laughs> it put a heavy uh, burden uh, on, on the driver. Yeah, I watched a few of them spinning out in the snow in Buffalo when I was going to school there. That was an amazing sight. 
Uh, did, did you think that it was just the Corvair that was unsafe or other cars? No, so all the motor vehicles were way beyond the curve of applicable, readily available crash prevention and crash protection systems like seat belts, for example, were available on the World War I airplanes in, wor in World War I to keep the pilot from falling out of the plane. Padded dash panels go back to the ancient Roman chariots, for heaven's sake. And so all cars were failing. And, you know, we had, we had all kinds of brakes and tires uh, technologies that were way behind uh, Western Europe, auto manufacturers. The Corvair had unique disabilities, including its uh, lack of safe handling and cornering maneuvers, which were preventable, but uh, Chevrolet wanted to save a few bucks per car and didn't put the fix in. And so I thought, since it was produced by the biggest auto manufacturer in the world, that I would devote the first chapter to it. Do you think now that safety sells cars? Oh, yes. That's another myth. Back in the 1960s, they said, safety doesn't sell, style sells. Well, it was false then because when Ford Motor Company put some options like seat belts and padded dash panels in their cars in 1955, they became the fastest selling options in automotive history. But General Motors, unfortunately, didn't agree and they, they clamped down on all of this. Now, safety is on the minds of families in, in part because they know how safety uh, does save lives, safety standards for their children, for infants, seat belts. Uh, we have now uh, airbags in cars. We have better braking systems, better tires. Uh, we have rollover protection on the side. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that have been improved. But not much project since Reagan took over. Surprising. Almost 40 years or so where the Department of Transportation uh, was asleep under the gaze of auto lobbyists in Washington. The Congress would harass any effort by the Department of Transportation because they were under the influence. And inaction, inaction, Ira, is not news. So when the government didn't fulfill in 40 years the requirements of the National Motor Vehicle Safety Laws, when uh, they didn't recall cars in action, when they didn't issue long overdue safety standards in action, when they didn't release consumer information by make and model in action, uh, the media didn't report it because inaction, when action is required, uh, isn't viewed as newsworthy. And this is what we've got to get over, that it's when government does nothing that so much bad happens, not just when government does some things that are wrong. Well, what could government be doing now that they are not doing? Well, there's a whole raft of uh, uh, readily available practical safety features. Uh, they're under certain clusters. One of them is called uh, the assisted driving systems. For example, automatic emergency brakes, the single most important. It's in some high-priced cars. It's not required yet on big trucks. That's coming in the infrastructure bill. European Union requires it for big trucks, but not in, in the U.S. 
That could prevent the crash. It could prevent from 25 to 40% of crashes because when truck drivers are sleepy or they're not attentive, this system kicks right in and breaks the truck. Uh, Another one is lane changing warnings. So if you start drifting into another lane, there's a warning there. Others are impaired driving prevention systems. The detection systems that have been developed are spectacular. They just have to be put in motor vehicles. This is to deal with the uh, alcoholic drivers who are the cause of thousands of deaths every year. Then there's uh, distractive driving uh, prevention uh, systems. And of course, the update on all the traditional, better brakes, better tires, better roof uh, crush prevention and rollovers, and the update on all the crash protection. So if you're in a crash, you can walk away without injuries. We need airbags that protect at higher collision speeds. We need better systems in cars. They're a lot better than they were. I mean, in the old days, Ira, the cars were like a a room full of knives, sharp edges uh, on the dash panel that could crush a skull at a 10-mile-an-hour impact. Cars are much safer now, but they could become almost invincible to all but the most uh, high-speed collisions with all kinds of internal automatic airbags between seats and side protection, rollover protection. What are we waiting for? We need the media to get onto it. We need the Congress to wake up and realize they represent motorists, not motor vehicle manufacturers. And we need the professional engineering societies to protect the engineers inside these companies who we sometimes call whistleblowers. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studio. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. Let, let's talk a bit about self-driving cars. I get the sense that you're probably not a big fan of them. Is, is that a correct read? Oh, yes. Uh, we're not going to see fully autonomous motor vehicles for years, if not decades. Number one, they can be effectively hacked. And no matter what the auto companies ballyhoo it or the high-tech companies, they haven't come close to providing systems to protect against remote hacking. They could now remote hack thousands of vehicles of the same model that are on the highway. Uh, And that sort of disturbs motorists who like to control their motor vehicles. If they lose trust, In the concept of autonomous driving, the auto companies can't get anywhere. So they're not dealing with hacking. They're not dealing with the human-machine interface, electronic control systems. And you have to change all the highways. You have to make sure the signs are not removed. You've got to make sure there's bright white paint, yellow paint, all kinds of multi-billion dollar adjustments with the highway. And how do they interact with people who are driving. Let's say you come and you want to go to a driving slot on the road and a autonomous vehicle arrives at the same time. Uh, no, there's tremendous problems. Toyota knows that they're not 
ballyhooing it. There have been comments from motor vehicle executives, Ford and otherwise, saying, hey, slow down. We're not going to see this for a while. But we can see semi-autonomous systems like automatic uh, emergency braking systems, uh, which are on some high-priced motor vehicles. They are, wor- they are working their way down, are they not? I mean, if people are demanding it. They, I've seen them on Toyotas, they, on Chevys. They're, they really are working their way down. Won't people demand this, that they get these even on the cheaper cars? That's right. And the more uh, their standard equipment, the lower the cost of mass production for each one of these safety systems. But speaking of self-driving cars, there are more than 32,000 people killed every year. There are 2 million injured each year from motor vehicle crashes. How much worse could a robot do? Oh, tremendous. Uh, you could, for example, uh, uh, see remote hacking from criminal elements that would move thousands of cars off the road at once to the same model. All kinds of things can go wrong in terms of the human-machine interaction. The electronic controls, after all, remember Toyota had great problems with sudden acceleration because they weren't on top of the increasing automation of cars, as most other companies. All kinds of problems can occur. On the other hand, we have readily available practical measures, which we outlined in this 55th anniversary report of unsafe and speed, that are either on higher-priced cars now, which could be put on all cars, or they're ready to go. Uh, the automotive suppliers have tested them. They're all ready to go. And that could reduce by 70 to 80% of the 38,000 or more fatalities a year. And it's now, not some hyped science fiction futuristic uh, dream about fully autonomous vehicles whose technical problems remain after years of false assurances and hopes of the auto companies and the high-tech companies. Do you worry that people might engage in riskier driving behavior if they think that the car that is equipped with all these safety features is going to save them? I don't think so. Uh, That was posited by some of the Milton Friedman free market types. I, I I don't think so. That hasn't been borne out by the studies. But you raise an interesting point. In the Tesla autopilot vehicles, uh, which have not been driven that much. There already been 10 fatalities on the roads. The, the Auto Safety Agency in Washington is investigating it. There are lawsuits against uh, Tesla. These cars' systems have not been recalled. And some of them are due to the drivers relying on the autopilot excessively and not quickly reacting when the autopilot fails and there's about to be a collision. Are there any safety features that could be added to self-driving cars that would make you feel more comfortable with them? Because don't you believe that ultimately, and you have said this, that it's not going to happen within the next few years, but ultimately, don't you think we're going to have self-driving cars? And what, what kind of safety features should be added? Well, I must say the best self-driving transit vehicles are called public transit. And you're just sitting there uh, looking at your cell phone, reading the paper, snoozing uh, on your way to work. Those are the best self-driving systems. And autonomous vehicle hype is distracting attention from investment in super modern mass transit systems all over the country. As far as the actual self-driving 
vehicle, yeah, I mean, you could, you could try to solve the hacking problem. You could simplify uh, the electronic controls. You could put super-duper airbags all over inside the vehicle in case something goes wrong. But we have tested conventional improvements outlined in the possession of the industry, of the government, in some cars already, uh, that will save lives and prevent injuries now much faster, much more predictable, without the horrific complications of hyped-up, automated, multi-layered software, which has all kinds of vulnerabilities. Turning to what's going on in, in our country now, and I'm speaking about mandates for vaccinations. Do you think today, if the seatbelt law came up to be ratified, would there be a successful pushback against mandatory seatbelt wearing? Well, sure. There was when it came up in the 60s and 70s. There was tremendous opposition. I was accused of chaining Americans to their vehicle. They had all kinds of horrible hypotheticals uh, in addition to an ideological resistance. But we pointed to the auto racing drivers at Daytona and elsewhere and how they were belted in, they had strong rollover protections, and they would find themselves in spectacular collisions, and they'd walk away. So that was a first step in uh, convincing people of the importance. The second one was focusing on the children. So you may not want seat mouths, but you've got little children in the car, and they need to be protected. And that reached a lot more people. And then as more seatbelt lives were being saved and reported in the media, more and more people came around. But not New Hampshire is the only state left in the country, Ira, that does not require use of the three-point seatbelt, not just installation, that's in all cars. But I guess in New Hampshire, it's live free or die, or is that the motto, or is it uh, live and die without seatbelts. This is Science Friday from WNYC. For so many black people, the Wiz feels like home. like home. The new stage revival has Broadway buzzing. And as it gears up for a national tour, we'll consider the impact this story continues to have 50 years down the yellow brick road. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on the next Notes from America as we pay tribute to the Wiz. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We got a question on our Sci-Fi Vox Pop app from Matthew from Washington, D.C. In the 1980s, when state laws requiring drivers and passengers to wear seatbelts came out and my father fought against them tremendously, my question is, when it comes to consumer safety in the age of new technology, what can we do with the sociology or psychology part of ensuring that those that use these new technologies are willing to accept the new safety requirements? Well, it's, it's obviously it's the old uh, phrase, you gotta engage in very wise public education and start moving on all fronts. I thought in this vaccine situation, the, the government dropped the ball. They, they should have used the word contagious more they should have used, you don't want to have a vaccine, but your children are being vaccinated when they're a uh, very young age from diphtheria and measles, and you didn't object to that. 
It, it just wasn't done right. Madison Avenue is able to sell people almost anything. I'm surprised they didn't enlist Madison Avenue. But remember, about 25% of the people are still opposed to vaccination. Uh, and some of them are opposed because they don't trust the drug companies. You know, some of that is well-merited. There have been a lot of drugs killing people with side effects like Vioxx years ago. Other millions of people are afraid of needles, terrified of needles. And others uh, are just procrastinators. So they're not all ideological people uh, against vaccinations per se. And we've got to address those wisely, kindly, persuasively, and increase the number and keep testing the longer range effects of the vaccines that are applied to tens of millions of people. Do you see any parallels between the giant social media companies of today and the giant automobile companies of the 60s? I mean, today we have giant social media companies are being accused of putting profits over people. I mean, and that's what I hear you saying about the automobile companies. Is that a valid comparison? It is, but they're worse today because uh, the the social media companies like Facebook, uh, Google, Instagram, all the rest, they can get into your minds 24-7. There's no time restriction here, uh, especially children's minds. With the auto companies, they got into people's head by selling them style and horsepower and totally ignoring safety and not letting people know how much safer their car can be for their families in a practical and efficient and non-costly manner and actually reduce their insurance premiums. But they only got into people's minds on ads on TV and radio and in print. Uh, But these social media companies are into these kids' minds. They're into adults' minds insidiously, just nonstop. So I think the focus here has got to be on the advertisers. About 95% of Facebook's revenues come from advertisers, 80% of Google's revenue. And there hasn't been enough media focus on these advertisers and how they use the personal information of hundreds of millions of people in the U.S., in Canada, and all over the world free. Mm -hmm. Speaking of nonstop, what does the future hold for Ralph Nader? Where are you focusing your energies these days? Well, building new citizen groups around the country, we're not keeping up with the autocratic movements, the Trump movements, the corporate uh, supremacists uh, and, and control. You know, 20 years ago, Business Week had a poll and they said, uh, does big business have too much control over your lives? And over 70% of the people said, yes, that includes a lot of conservatives. And of course, it's only gotten worse with social media companies now. Uh, so we need a proliferation of citizen groups, and we need better coverage of what existing citizen groups are doing. A lot of people at the local, national level, Ira, are doing great work as citizens. They're accomplishing great things in cities, suburbs, rural areas. They're not getting on the evening news. They're not getting in the newspapers. So I'm trying to make the media more aware of that as we encourage our schools to teach practical civics, civic skills, and connect children under adult supervision with problem solving in their own community. If we don't do that, this young generation is going to be lost to the metaverse and to the whole social media alternative virtual reality. And you know where that leads. Yeah. Well, Ralph, I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today. You've reached 2 million people 
with your message. So uh, thanks for joining us, Ralph Nader, consumer safety advocate, several-time presidential candidate based in Winstead, Connecticut. Thanks again for taking time to talk with us today. Well, thank you. And uh, you can get this report on auto safety. Just go to nader.org. It's online and free. That's Ralph Nader talking to Ira Flato from Ralph's hometown of Winstead, Connecticut, which is coincidentally also my hometown. Coming up on our next episode, it's a wrap-up of this week's science news with Tim Revel of New Scientist. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll see you soon.